Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. It's quiet. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I so appreciate we didn't have a camera person today and Kaylee just volunteered during the break. Um, I like to move around, so uh, that's really helpful. Much appreciated. I'm looking at the camera, but I'm looking at you at the same time. Thank you. Uh, so I'm excited about today's message. This is kind of a recap of youth camp um, in kind of spark note form. So we're going to go fast and we're going to cover a lot. We're going to cover all the sessions of youth camp uh, in a short amount of time this morning. So let's pray. Lord, we ask for your help and Holy Spirit, pray that every one of us would see Jesus with greater clarity and amazement and wonder today than we did when we woke up this morning. And Lord, those who don't quite see you for who you are yet, we pray that would change as they hear the truths of your word. And we ask this in your name. Amen. The title of today's sermon is, Who Does Jesus Say That He Is? So not just who is Jesus, but who does Jesus, in fact, say that he is? One of my, my favorite things to do um, is read books. I love to read books. I especially love biographies, and I really love autobiographies because I love to hear um, what situations in life is like from the, the real live person who walked through the difficulties and lived it, and you get the behind the scenes um, the internal workings of their mind that as things are happening, they, they describe them. And so I want you to imagine today that you read a biography or two about Jesus and you're a reporter, you're a news reporter. And so you've read all that there is to know about Jesus that was in written form. Some of them were biographies. And now we live in, let's say, the time that Jesus is walking the earth and you are able to set up an interview with Jesus. And you're, all you're gonna ask Jesus is who are you? And what we're gonna do this morning is see his seven answers to that question. Now you already know some things about Jesus. You know, for example, that he walked on water. You know that he healed blind people. You know that he brought his friend Lazarus back from the dead. You know, um, you know quite a few things about him. You even read somewhere uh, by one, G one of Jesus' friends, John, said that if everything that Jesus had, did while he was on earth was written in a book, there's not enough books in the world to contain all that he did. So you have some stuff. But what you're about to learn from your interview is going to blow your mind if you, if you really consider um, what he says. It, it would be an interview unlike any interview, and his answers would be very different than anyone else in the entire world because Jesus is very unique, as you're gonna see in a moment. So the first question, so imagine Jesus is right here, sitting here. Our driving question is, who are you, Jesus? Answer number one, I am the bread of life. Imagine the interviewer, you're not expecting that answer. I am the bread of life, what are you talking about? Um, John says it this way. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me 
shall not thirst. Whoever comes to me, Jesus says, shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. So just to set the context a bit, when Jesus said this, there's a Jewish audience, and, and he knows and they know he's connecting um, what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness when God provided manna from heaven. They, the Jewish people were ascribing that to Moses, and Jesus said, no, it wasn't actually Moses that did that. It was God that did that. And just like God provided the bread, physical bread for the Israelites, God provided something far greater for all of humanity in the person of Jesus. And so when Jesus says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall not thirst, he's not talking about physical hunger or physical thirst, but he's talking about this deep, internal, spiritual longing that only Jesus can satisfy. We, we hear about this in John 3.16, maybe the most well-known Bible verse in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, even when God did miraculously provided for the Israelites in the wilderness, the next morning or the next afternoon, they were, they were hungry. They were ready to eat again. Those of you who are teenagers, um, you know, it could be five minutes and then you're ready to go again. You're, I, I have teenagers in our house and it happens really, really fast. Well, what Jesus is offering is something deeper and eternal that is only found in a personal relationship with him. So imagine, you're the interviewer. I'm the bread of life. Jesus is saying, I will satisfy like nothing else. But you have more questions asked. Who, who are you, Jesus? Here's the second answer. Another unexpected answer. I am the light of the world. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Notice what he's not saying. He's not saying, I will show you the light of the world. I'll show you um, what the light might be like. No, he's saying, I in and of myself am the light of the world. If you read the book of John, there's this sharp contrast between darkness representing evil and light representing God's goodness. And Jesus is saying, I am in fact the light of the world. No matter what age in human history since the fall of man, um, we have been stumbling around in darkness, in moral darkness, in depravity, and we need the light of Jesus to be able to see clearly, to be able to see ourselves clearly, and to be able to see and understand our world accurately. Jesus presses into this more, or, or John does, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in John 1. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He's talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, that's the Jewish people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, 
who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, when God's Spirit comes inside us, we, can, we who once were in darkness can see Jesus as the true light, and that light is life. And those who look to Jesus are brought into his family. I mean, maybe another way to think about it is Jesus is like the sun. He is the source of all truth. We, Christians who trust in Jesus, are to be like the moon. We are to reflect the light of the sun. And that's, that's how we are to be. And the more we are in step with walking in the light, the more we reflect who Jesus is and his transforming work to the dying world around us. So you're taking notes, you're asking Jesus, okay, Jesus, who are you? Now, this next one might not help us initially. Answer number three, I am the door. Well, Jesus, that's, that's a weird answer. I am the door. L- listen to what he says in John 10, 7. So Jesus again said, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So if you are living in the time that Jesus lived in and you're Um, living in the region that Jesus lived in, you would understand what he's saying right away. See, um, it was a, shepherding was a very common thing among the Jewish people. And and to be the door, what, what he's referencing there is a good shepherd, particularly at night, would bring the sheep into a sheepfold, into a fenced in area that was either made of wood or stone that would protect the sheep from predators, from, from animals, and maybe even people that would want to steal or bring harm to the sheep. And Jesus saying, I'm the door. I'm the entrance into that sheepfold. Some of the, the sheepfolds would have gates on them, physical gates that would open and shut. And Jesus is saying, I'm that door. I'm the way in. But at times, um, there would be no door on the entrance to the sheepfold. And the shepherd a good shepherd would sleep right in the entrance. So if any animal or any predator tried to get in, they'd have to go over or through the shepherd and the shepherd would fight and protect. And Jesus is saying, I in fact am the way to rest, to peace, to protection, to the, 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 the safety of a relationship with the living God. I am the door. I am the only way in to God's rest. I am the door. And then in the same chapter, he develops this a little bit more, which brings us to the fourth answer to the question, who are you, Jesus? Not only am I the door, but I am the good shepherd. Listen to this. I am the good shepherd The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I'm such a good shepherd, Jesus is saying, that I will lay down my life. I will risk my life for the sheep. And if you were a Jewish person of those days and familiar with the Old Testament, you would realize that the Lord had strong things to say about evil shepherds, wicked shepherds. So you can do some reading on your own, but look up Ezekiel chapter 34. 
a, a hired hand who is not a good shepherd, when pressure comes, when threats come, uh, whether they're internal threats or external threats, they'll leave, they'll run. Because they're, they're more concerned about their own well-being and safety and reputation. But a genuine good shepherd, which Jesus is the ultimate, when danger comes, when harm comes, when threats come, they stay. And they stay because they are protecting the sheep. Now Jesus did this in the ultimate sense. Listen to what Paul says in the book of Romans. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, died for the ungodly. Our good shepherd didn't die for good people. He died for rebels, for those who wanted nothing to do with him. Paul says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one might even dare to die. Listen to this. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, Jesus is so unlike anyone else in all the world. There are, there are probably many of you in this room that may lay down your life for a loved one, for a very close friend, for, for your spouse. But the list gets much shorter when you get further out. It's a very short list of people that would lay down their life for their enemies, for those who have caused them harm and pain. Jesus lays down his life for the lost. And because he's the good shepherd, Take heart in this. You will make it to heaven if Jesus is your Lord and Savior. If he's your good shepherd, he's such a shepherd that he will not lose you ever. Even when you get lost or confused or disoriented at times, Jesus is fiercely committed to you. Listen to what he says here. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus will keep those he laid down his life for. You just need to keep your eyes on him. He will keep you. You can trust him. He is absolutely trustworthy. So you're doing the interview with Jesus. You're like, wow, you are amazing, Jesus. Now what he's about to say next is gonna even just mess with natural um, science categories in your mind. So you ask the question. Okay, Jesus, you said you had seven answers to this. So so who are you? And this is what he says for answer five. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said to her, speaking to Lazarus' sister, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus said this right after Lazarus had died. He'd been dead four days, and Jesus is about to bring him back to life. 
See, Jesus is displaying that he's not just an incredible human. He is an incredible human, but he is fully God as well. So he is an incredible, perfect human and fully God. And as the combo of both, sin, death itself, are enemies that will lose to Jesus. Jesus conquered sin and he conquered death in the resurrection. And you know how the story goes with Lazarus that he calls to the grave and Lazarus comes out. Even in the call, there's grace to bring life. See, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And for everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, every single Christian, you can be expectant that you will live forever with Jesus. So we will die because this world is broken and fallen. And then we will be with Jesus forever. He conquered sin and death. So eternal life is eternal. It lasts forever with God. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. He said this, So we are always of good courage. Speaking about Christians, we know that while we are at home in the body, while we're still on earth here, we are away from the Lord. We're not physically with the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. In other words, when we die as believers in Jesus, we will be with the Lord. All because the good shepherd laid down his life. Now, it's also true that if you die and have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you too will live forever, but that forever will be an eternity of hell and punishment and wrath. And so it's sobering. And yet Jesus is saying, it doesn't have to be that way because I've conquered sin. I've paid the penalty for sin and I rose from the grave. Now, if you're the interviewer, you might be getting a little nervous at this time. So, you know, there's two more. Who are you, Jesus? Who in the world are you? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If it wasn't clear with the door and him being the shepherd, now it's crystal clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So with this statement, Jesus is making an exclusive claim that there is only one way to a relationship with the maker of heaven and earth. There is only one way to have your sins forgiven. There is only one true faith, which is in and through Jesus. And depending on the century we live in, uh, or the decade even, that may be more or less popular. We are heading into a time where that is far less popular. But Jesus is crystal clear. And the reason I think oftentimes people don't understand the reason it has to be this way. Because in Jesus, he is the only one who has dealt with the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. So he satisfies the holiness of God by being our substitute and dying on the cross 
in our place. He covers the sinfulness of man because he's our substitute. See, some religions will, will grapple with the transcendence and holiness of God. And they get that part right. But where they, they mess up is they think human works will somehow be someday enough to clean us up to a degree where a holy God can accept us. And that will never, ever happen. Some philosophies will undermine the, the, the sinful nature of humanity that the Bible so clearly teaches about and experience so clearly demonstrates. Just, if you don't believe me, just go to the Pittsburgh News website after church. Watch it for five minutes. I didn't watch it today, but I'm sure something bad happened last night, and they're talking about it. Well, why does that happen day after day, year after year, decade after decade? Because humanity is broken and fallen. So Jesus is making this exclusive claim. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. So it's not wrong if someone would say, it's, oh man, you, you're, it's such an exclusive faith. That's partially true, but it's also true to say that it is the most inclusive faith in all the world because Jesus also is saying anyone, no matter who they are, no matter how they grew up, no matter what they've done, if they come to me, I will welcome them in. If they knock on that door when I'm guarding it and they come by faith, I will say, come on in. Listen to what it says in John 6, 37. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So in other words, there is only one way to know the living God. And you're all invited. You're all invited. Jesus says, come on in. Whoever you are, no matter what you've done, you can come to God through Jesus. That's the good news of Christianity. So Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Last question. Wow, Jesus, who are you? Now this question, even this morning, got me in a little trouble because I used an illustration at youth camp that I'll tell you about in a moment. So parents, I apologize, sort of, ahead of time. So Jesus says, I am the vine. I am the vine. Uh, and this is from John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the picture, the image, is pictured just this great grapevine. And um, we are the branches. When we trust in Jesus, we're connected. And the image there, if you know the Old Testament, the vine was also a description of Israel. Israel was to be this fruitful people for the Lord, but they failed over and over again, which is why Jesus says, not only am I the vine, but I'm the true vine. I'm the perfect vine. And teens who are at youth camp, what did I say is a, a, an okay translation for branches? Does anybody remember? Little twigs, so it can also be translated, we're little twigs. We're just um, little twigs that we connect to the vine, and then we become very fruitful. And here's where I got in a little bit of trouble. For 
the neater people in, in the room, is I gave every teenager uh, a cluster of grapes um, at youth camp. So they could remember that when we're connected to Jesus, we grow really fruitful. But then what I said is, if you can, and I know one, at least one in the room to this day has it sitting on their dining room table. If you can save the branch, the little dead branch that is disconnected from the vine, for as long as you can, put it in your room, put it in your Bible. This individual happened to put it on their dining room table. I didn't say that, parents, but that's what they did. As a reminder, if we're not connected to the vine, we will not bear fruit. But if we are, if we remain, if we continue to pursue Jesus, this is the amazing thing. You will be fruitful. This is despite our maybe personality defects, despite any kind of intelligent defects, whatever defects you think you might have. Here's the incredible reality. If you trust in Jesus and continually pursue Jesus, you will be fruitful. You will bear fruit that pleases God. This is why, why Jesus said this in, in John 15, 8. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The most effective thing you can do as a Christian is spend time with the Lord. One of the things we try to do in um, membership interviews, because people will ask, like, what, what kind of things can I do in the church? How do I get involved? Uh, one of the things that we say over and over again is the most important thing that you could do is spend time with Jesus every day. That's not to earn his favor. You already have it if you're in Christ. But if you spend time with Jesus every day, you will bear fruit. You, and then God will be glorified. If every Christian, not just in this church, but in every church in Indiana and the surrounding area is spending time with the Lord, dependent on the Lord, we will be a fruitful people for our community. So I just want to end with this. How, how do we do that? Well, first we got to recognize Jesus is the true vine, meaning he is God. He is perfect. He is the life giver, and he's offering life to any who come to him. And if we continually pursue him, we will be fruitful. It starts with that entry point of turning from our sin and receiving salvation, but then it goes by spending time with him seeking him above all else. And you might be thinking, well, how will I be fruitful? The primary way you will be fruitful, which will bring glory to the Lord, is in your character, in what you are like. Paul captures the fruit of the Spirit this way, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. So you can have a very difficult life and be extremely fruitful at the same time. In my grapevine studies and research, um, at least in, in some parts of the world where grape, grapes are grown and the climate gets colder at the wintertime, um, what the grapevines do at that time is they, they go deep. Their roots get deeper and deeper and deeper. And so for us as Christians, we're going to have times where life is good and times where life is messy and 
Oftentimes it all happens at the same time. What we need to do is just keep spending time with the Lord. Keep recalling his promises. Keep remembering his character. Keep worshiping him and singing to him. And as you do that, day after day, month after month, year after year, you will bear fruit and God will be glorified. And then the last way I think we will be fruitful is in impact. Uh, The Great Commission says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're going to be much more impactful as ambassadors for Jesus if our character matches our profession and where our character is consistent with declaring Jesus as King and Lord and Savior, then we're going to be fruitful in impact as well. Never bypass time with the Lord to do things for the Lord. I think it's a a common trap and pitfall, but it always will show up over time. Much better to say no to things and spend time with the Lord and just have a nice sustainable pace If you do that over the long haul, you will be way more fruitful than the person that just goes guns a-blazing and then slowly shuts this book and then leaves this book and just does all this Christian activity, but their relationship with the true vine is just slowly dwindling to nothing. Do the opposite, and then in time, God will give you opportunities to be very fruitful for him. So we're talking to Jesus. Jesus, thank you for that incredible interview. I'm a little slow. I didn't take notes. Can you give me a recap? I will give you a recap, Joe. Who are you, Jesus? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. Let's stand and pray and have the band come on up. Lord, thank you for how awesome you are. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening our eyes to see you more. And I pray all of us, our our faith, our confidence in you would have grown because of the truths of your word that we just saw. And may we experience them as we sing to you this final song. We ask this in your name. Amen.